Well, good morning. My name is John McCombs. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at City Reformed. It is certainly good to be with you all uh, on this Lord's Day. Uh, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, or in your bulletins to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That'll be our text uh, for today. At this time, children are dismissed to Children's Church if they've not left uh, yet. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 will be our text today. It's not too long of a chapter, uh, and I look forward to, uh, uh, to seeing what God has to say to us today from it. Let's pay attention as we hear God's word. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. 
And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, it's very good to be with you today. Uh, It's good to be with the church uh, in a greater capacity over the summer. As many of you know, I'm a teacher at Trinity Christian School. And there are a few other teachers here that I'm looking at, a few of them right now who teach at Trinity Christian School, who have taught there in the past, and there are teachers who teach at other schools. Uh, So in the summer, that gives me a little bit more time to spend around here. And for any teacher, they know that they have a little more time in the summer. Now, some of us get a little bit lost and So we haven't quite figured out what we're supposed to be doing with our time yet. So if we have that look, as some of you have pointed out to me as of late, are you okay? You look lost. Um, uh, I'm just still getting used to this summer thing, okay, and getting used to this teaching thing. Summer is a time, though, uh, that for most of us, uh, if we have children, we get to spend a little bit more time with our children. It may not be because of our schedules, but it could be because of daylight savings time, and it's light out until 9.30, and if you're still from western Pennsylvania, then the kids can stay out until the streetlights come on, okay? So they can stay out that late, which is longer uh, than in the summer, or longer than in the winter. Now, being newer at City Reformed, and having just taken part in Vacation Bible School, and we're one quarter of the way now into our Raising Sexually Faithful Kids, it's a Friday night seminar being hosted... uh, Uh, are being taught by the Bunes and hosted uh, by Sol and Stephen Chan. Uh, I know that City Reform cares deeply about its covenant children. I know you take the obligation very seriously of raising up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I can think back to a a pastor, um, uh, and he wasn't a pastor of mine. He he, He worked at the seminary that I went to, and he had one of those pastor's voices and he would just look at you and talk to you like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you like that today. I'm, I'm learning to be a pastor. But he, he'd been a pastor, and he would just look at you. And I can remember Alicia was expecting, uh, and our, child, our first child was coming, and he looked at me with that deep voice, and he said, son, the Lord doesn't give you those children to populate hell. Now, you may not take it that seriously, <clears throat> Or you may not phrase it that way, but those words always stuck with me. He said, the Lord is not giving you those children for that purpose, right? Uh, right? Um, So it's fitting today for us to look into Deuteronomy chapter 6 on this VBS Sunday where we saw what our kids learned uh, last week, uh, to look together, right, with an eye to what God has to say regarding passing the covenant down to our kiddos, Uh, Deuteronomy is in many ways a book of transitions. It's a book where we see the covenant being passed down from one generation to the next, that they might walk in God's ways. And isn't that our desire for our children? So Deuteronomy is an instructive book by nature, and particularly for us as we consider our children. Now today I'm going to say the word parents a lot, okay? And I don't want that to narrowly just mean those who biologically have children. When I say parents, if you can hear it, then hear it if you are at all involved or care about the education uh, and passing down 
what you know about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the next generation. Okay, so I want this to be very inclusive here, this definition of parents, right? So don't think, well, I don't have children. This doesn't apply to me. No, if you are involved in children at any, with, with, at any level in any capacity, right? Uh, or if you have a heart to do that one day, then hang with me, okay? And when I say parents, think uh, to yourself, this, this is me, okay? Uh, this is what God is calling me to do as well. Now, thus far, because we're kind of jumping in here in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has completed his first speech, okay? Most, most theologians or commentators say this book has about three big speeches. The first speech would be his historical prologue, where he really just rehashes Israel's journey uh, from Mount Sinai uh, to the border of the Promised Land. Okay? Uh, Moses is now in his second of three speeches or sermons, and that began in chapter 5 with the Ten Commandments. Our text today begins in chapter 6, so it's the follow-on to the Ten Commandments early on in his second speech, uh, and it begins with these words. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So this verse starts off, and there's a tie in the very first phrase. Now, this is the commandment. He just gave the Ten Commandments, and he goes on to say the statutes and the rules. The commandments had come. The statutes and the rules are coming. That's really what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through, uh, 6 through 26 is all about. It's an exposition of those Ten Commandments. It's taking them and applying them to the next generation that will go into the promised land. How are they to live by God's promises in this land into which God is leading them? So Moses uh, here begins his exposition of really the first commandment. And that will continue through chapter 11. Believe it or not, that's basically what's happening in chapter 6 through 11 of Deuteronomy. Moses is expounding upon just the first commandment, uh, that thou shalt have no other gods before me. And what's his purpose in doing so? Well, he gives us his purpose very clearly. There's at least five purpose clauses in those first three verses alone. He'll say in verse 1, that you may do them. In verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God. Also in verse 2, that your days may be long. In verse 3, that it may go well with you. And also in verse 3, that you may multiply greatly. Five purpose clauses just in those first three verses alone, all showing that God is for you. If you are God's covenant child, then God is for you. Now, I just lost the captive audience if I started singing that song right now from VBS last week, although, or a couple weeks ago, although there's still a few here, right? The song, do we remember it? If God is for me, right? If God is for me, who can be, who can be against me, right? That's how it went. The kids, they're gone. They would sing that for you if they were here. They love that song. What a beat. And that's true, right? 
And I, you know, this one flesh thing in marriage, like I'm waiting for the musical ability to kick in. I'm waiting to learn how to sing. I'm waiting to learn how to keep a beat, but it just hasn't happened yet. So I'm not sure that one I need an explanation on. If we're one flesh, why can't I do these things? Why can't I sing? I don't know, right? And my friend here, Mark Corbin, he has, he'll have an announcement later. He has an explanation for me. It's probably that I just don't listen to my wife. Is that what it is, Mark? That's probably what it is. We are one flesh. I just don't listen. I haven't let her teach me these things yet. Uh, but I digress, right? If God is for you, who can be against you? God is not just for us, parents. God is for your children, parents. And children, God is for your children. And you're like, wait, I don't have any children. Well, one day you might. And God, by his covenant promises, will be for them also. Verse 2 says, you and your son and your son's son. So God is for you, yes, and we see that very clearly from this passage. Uh, But we also see a great stress on obedience, even in just these first few verses. Right? God says to do them in verse 1. He says to keep them in verse 2. Do them again in verse 3. And all of this for our own good. God also provides great incentive. There is a land with milk and honey that you are about to enter. So God is very concerned about their obedience. God is very concerned about their hearts. And God has precious promises for them. He is for them and not against them. We would do well to hear the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that's just what this text asks us to do next. It asks us to hear. Not just to hear, though, because when I say that, you know, we as 21st century Americans, most of us are Westerners, we hear, and it can go one in ear and kind of out the other. That's not hearing in the Bible, okay? Hearing in the Bible is is more like, to put it in New Testament terms, James chapter uh, 1, verse 22 and following, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's what hear means here in chapter 6, verse The very first word of chapter 6 in verse 4 is this Hebrew word, Shema. Shema, right? And so chapter uh, 6, verses 4 through 9, really that whole thing is is almost the essence of this Shema, of this thing that we are meant to hear, and not just hear, but to do. And so it starts simply like this in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was a famous statement of Jewish orthodoxy. In fact, even to this day, Orthodox Jews will recite this in prayer twice a day. The Lord alone, you see by this statement, is Israel's God. Again, this is an exposition of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So he's reminding them of who he is. He alone is God. He is the one who saved them. He is the one who redeemed them. He is the one who is bringing them into this good and gracious land. 
This is a statement of exclusivity. And that statement of exclusivity is in contrast to the place they just left, Egypt, where the, there were gods everywhere. And it's also a statement in contrast to the place to which they are going, Canaan, where there are more gods than you can shake a stick at. It means no less to us today. And given that there are no other gods, God alone can be God. He's the only one. Christian, God is for you. He has set his love upon you. How then are you to respond to this, the only living God? Well, verse 5 tells us, and it's a tall order, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So first and foremost, it's, it's really simple. We're to love God with all we've got. If he's the only one, and if he's yours, give him everything. Your heart, your soul, your might. Hold nothing back. In the words of Christ, as we would read in Matthew chapter 22, or Mark chapter 12, or Luke chapter 10, this is the great and first commandment. Jesus did not make this up. He was referencing Deuteronomy chapter 6 in his discussion. You could obviously spend a sermon alone on Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, even Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. But we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's how we're to respond to this one God who is and who has rescued us as his children. But I want to focus a little bit more on what comes next. You've probably heard sermons about that before, if not from the Old Testament, then from the New Testament on any of those three passages. So what comes next in verse 6 is, is this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There's a demand here from the text for a heart that totally loves the Lord. Now, this anticipates the new covenant. This is the book of Deuteronomy, the last of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. This anticipates the new covenant uh, that we see in Jeremiah 31, but it's not just in Jeremiah 31. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 10. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's in Ezekiel 36. It's all over the Old Testament, but it's anticipating the new covenant. But we live in the new covenant. Amen? (laughs) We live in this. I can say this even from a Presbyterian and covenantal uh, pulpit in in this dispensation of God's grace, right? Uh, One covenant of grace under two administrations or dispensations. We live on this side of the cross where God's words truly and effectively are written on our hearts and the Spirit of God is working and moving in each and every person who calls upon Him in faith. Verses 5 and 6 are very strongly connected here, and I'll suggest to you that one of the primary indicators of how much you love God from verse 5 is your heart from verse 6. So I'll ask you, are his words on your heart? Are God's words on your heart? And I want you to think back for a moment to uh, the, the last person you were deeply, madly, head over heels in love with, right? 
Think back for a moment to the last person you were deeply, madly, head over heels in love with. Husbands, I'm going to give you a hint. This is your wife. Uh, Wives, I'm going to give you a hint. This is your husband. Okay? Uh, So you think of that person, right? If you're single, you might have a little more flexibility there, but I don't know. If you're sitting next to her and she picks up on it, you're going to get quite an elbow there, Brendan. Okay? So think back to the last person you were deeply, madly in love with. What did you do with their, let's go back a little bit, let's say their voicemails? What did you do with their emails? What did you do with their text messages? You saved them, did you not? What did you do with those letters that they wrote to you? Did you save them? You saved them, you read them again and again, you wanted to hear them again, and you longed for more. Were there words on your heart? Oh, they were on your heart. They might have been on your heart a little bit too much, if we're honest, right? They, they were on our hearts, right? They were on our minds. At times, they might have even been our strength, right? We might have been leaning on them more than we were leaning on God. But you saved them. You poured over them. You earnestly desired more. Their words were on your heart. Are, are God's words this to you now? Are they on your heart in this way. I ask you this not to convict you, although that will probably happen for most of us. It certainly happens for me even as I ask the question. But I'm, I'm asking it primarily because I want to suggest to you that what follows in the rest of this passage, you cannot do or at least do well if that's not the case. If God's words are not on your heart, you're going to have a very difficult time giving that away to somebody else. What follows then is this. After is God's word on your heart, this admonition for God's word to be on our heart, verses 7 through 9, you shall teach them, that is those words that are on your heart, diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. One commentator aptly said that Deuteronomy always has its eyes on children or the coming generation. Hence, Moses is prescribing what he called saturation education, right? Uh, That parents are teaching and talking and binding and writing and right surrounding their children in this environment where they are learning more about God all the time insofar as you are able. Right, that first word teaching there, it's not the normal Hebrew verb for teaching, it's actually the word sharpen. Right? And, and, and uh, Elder uh, Jim Partridge, he's going to preach tonight from Psalm 127. Right? And it's going to talk about the, area, the, the arrows right, that are our children, uh, and those arrows need to be sharp. So this, 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 this text is talking about the sharpening of our children, the teaching of our children. Right? Uh, so as you look at all those commands in there and the things that we're called to do, there are about two basic approaches here. Right? One, you can make a checklist. Right? And who likes checklists? I need checklists because I forget everything. Right? Uh, but I can become too reliant upon checklists. And when your spiritual life becomes heavily reliant upon a checklist, it, it, it could be, I don't mean for sure, it could be a sign that something is missing, okay? 
Your spiritual life is reduced to a checklist. Something could be missing. So you could approach it that way. You could say, okay, well, here's what I have to do as a parent, right? Uh, let me put them all on a list. I have to teach them diligently, okay? I have to talk to them and not just talk to them, but when I'm sitting down. So every time I'm sitting down with the kids, all right, cross that one off. Uh, I have to talk to them when I'm walking by the way. So we get up, we take a walk, we run an errand, we go down the street, we knock on the neighbor's door. I need to be talking to them when I go. Um, uh, uh, when you lie down, so at night I need to talk to them, right? When you rise first thing in the morning, you can make that checklist, right? You can go on further and say you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And people have done this and still literally do this. Right? They'll take God's word, put it in little boxes called phylacteries. They'll wrap it around their wrist and they'll keep it in there. Right? All right, got that one checked off the list. Right? Uh, and our last one, um, uh, well, they should be as frontless between your eyes. Some people have another box for the forehead. You may not have seen this, but you may have seen this in Squirrel Hill. Right? Box on the hand, box on the forehead. Again, the phylacteries. Uh, and then you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Some people next to their door, right? You'd be like, well, that's not the doorbell. What am I supposed to push? That's a little box that contains scriptures, right? So here's your option. Option door number one, checklist. Write it all down. Make sure you do it every single day, okay? Now, you might need some help in remembering some of those things, especially to you get in some good habits, but I'm not sure what kind of fruit that will necessarily bear. Okay. Door number two. Option number two. Write these things on your heart. Write them on your heart. Ask God by His Spirit to write them on your heart. Spend time in His Word. Hide it within your heart that you may not sin against Him as the psalmist said. See, we're often concerned uh, about uh, our children and their hearts. But what is God saying to us about the discipling of our children? I think what God is saying to us is that it primarily begins in our own hearts. Yes, we'd be wise to be concerned about their hearts, but not their hearts to the exclusion of our own. We have to start with our own hearts. God is saying to you, lay your heart before me. He's saying, give it to me. I want it. Not just some of it. All of it. Let me have it. Give me your heart. You can trust me with it. That's what he's saying to you. Jesus Christ promised in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Are you thirsty? Is your heart thirsty? Are your children's hearts thirsty. You need living water in your heart, given from God on high, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God, so that you have something to give to your children. God will fill up your heart with, with living water so that it will overflow into the lives of your children. There's only one place to go for living water. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. What if you don't go there? What if you choose not to? Well, verses 10 through 19 have a lot to say about that. We're not going to read them all. But there are strong warnings to not forget the Lord who redeemed us. There are many warnings here. Many warnings for rejecting the God who is. Rejecting this one true God. Rejecting 
this God, his commandments, his rules, his statutes for disobeying him. The Bible is replete with them. The third speech in Deuteronomy starts really with the blessings and the curses at the very end of the book. So finish the book. You'll see plenty of them more than you want. But I want to highlight two. We are warned in verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. We're warned again in verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Now why these two? Why these two? Why do I bring these two to your attention? Why you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, and why you shall love the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. These two are representative of God's words being hidden in Christ's heart. You see, it's those two scriptures that he quoted along with another scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 8 when he was tempted in the wilderness. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 4, other parallels in the New Testament. See, Christ's heart was fully devoted to God the Father. Christ was also 100% obedient. What does God want from us from Deuteronomy chapter 6? Well, He wants hearts that are completely devoted to Him, and He wants obedience. I'll suggest to you this. Give Him your heart. All of it. And he'll take care of the obedience. Give your heart to the one who was obedient for you. And God will produce that same obedience in you. Now it will take some time, as you know, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. And there are times when it's one step forward and two steps back. But you're marching forward, learning how to live by his grace. So let's come back to our covenant children before we close. Hearts that are genuinely on fire for the Lord are a rare and curious thing indeed. So curious that God even envisions our children asking questions about them. We see that in verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Right, see, if your heart is chasing after God, your children are going to sense you're chasing after something that's real. And a time will come when they will say, Mom, Dad, or again, if you're not that mom or dad, but you're that person discipling that covenant child, why, why, why do you do this? Right? Why is this so important to you? Why get up so early in the morning and spend time in this word? Right? Why do you apologize to people when you're angry? Why don't you just blow it off? You know? Why do you ask people for, why do you do these things? What is communion? Why is that such a big deal? Why do we baptize our children? They're going to ask you all kinds of questions. They're not going to ask you too many of those questions if they don't sense the genuineness of your faith. They already know the book answer. You've raised them. You've taught them well. They want to know the truth. They want to know the God behind the book answer. They want to know the God who is, right? And they don't know him. They're coming to you. They're asking. And so we see how a heart chasing after God might respond in verses 21 and following. It starts off like this. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. 
And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. Right? And the text continues and it goes on and on and on. And that's a wonderful answer. And when your children ask you that, you absolutely need to tell them how God delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. You need to tell them about the Passover and that rescue. You need to tell them how that relates to communion, the Lord's Supper. You need to tell them all those book answers. You need to tell them all the truth of the Bible. You have to tell them that. But I suggest you might want to tell them something else. See, if it's not personal, if you can't tell them that God brought me out of slavery to sin, if you can't tell them that I used to be stuck in this sin and God has helped me with that, if you, haven't, if you can't tell them that I may not be where I want to be, but I got, by God's grace, I'm not where I used to be. If you can't show them tangible examples in your life, if you can't be open and honest with them as a child of God who is walking with your heavenly Father, then they may not be that inclined to listen. You see, God is not only saying to trust Him with our hearts, which we give to Him. He's saying to trust Him with our children's hearts as well. He's working in their hearts now, and He will continue to work. Again, Jim will preach from Psalm 127 tonight. I'd encourage you to come Psalm 127 tells us, tells us that our children are a blessing, a heritage from the Lord. Matthew 19, in your additional scriptures, Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. Acts chapter 2, in your additional scriptures, the promises are to you and to your children and to all those who are far off. Not only are our hearts his, but our children's are as well. We need to trust God with our children's hearts. And I'll encourage you and suggest to you today that the primary means God uses to disciple your children is your heart. The primary human instrument is you and your heart. So I'd encourage you to show them a heart that is chasing after God. A heart that's been transformed in many ways, yes, but a heart that is being transformed day by day by God's grace. That's what your children need to see. They need to see you pursuing. They need to see you chasing after him. They need to see you mess up and ask for forgiveness when you mess up. They need to see those things. They need to see God's grace at work in you, the hope of glory. So I'd urge you today to chase after him with all of your heart, to share him with your children every chance you get, to show your children a God worth chasing after. Discipling our children truly is a matter of the heart, but it begins with our hearts. Let's give our hearts to the Lord this day. Let's pray.